0: Every time you and I talk on the phone since I started the podcast, I often think to myself, God damn, I wish I was recording this. (laughs) This is so good. (laughs) Because you're so smart and have such interesting insights that, um, so you better be good. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) No pressure. Hey, friends. Welcome back to Shiny Epi People. I'm Lisa Bodner. Really happy that you're here with me today. Don't forget, if you would like to financially support the show, if you're a regular, then go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash people Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at Shiny People. I post additional content there, and uh, you don't want to miss it. I'm going to get right into today's episode. It is with my friend, Steve Mooney. Steve got his PhD in epidemiology at Columbia in 2016. He's now an assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of Washington School of Public Health. His research focuses on the built environment and how it influences pedestrian injury and physical activity. He also has a number of side projects on epidemiologic methods. Steve and I today discuss our divorces and the emotions that go along with adjusting to a new family structure. We talk about what it is like for him to be a cis-American man in this patriarchy, deciding to go to therapy and learn about his feelings. And we also talk about online dating now as we are both in our 40s. I hope you enjoy this chat. Do you have a drink?
1: I do. I feel like everything you need to know about my pandemic is that I'm drinking boxed wine from a jam jar. <laughs> but I'm drinking boxed wine because I didn't have any beer in my fridge when I went to go looking for a beer, which that's the that's the true pandemic part. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here.
1: Delighted. I mean, I'm delighted. You can be, del- whatever.
0: <laughs> I am too. Um, do you remember how we met?
1: So my recollection of meeting is dancing together in the basement of the rendezvous in Seattle at <laughs> Ser. I think it was twenty seventeen.
0: Although we met and chatted a little bit, it wasn't until maybe at the end of Ser that someone was like, "Steve Mooney is getting divorced too." And then I was like, "Hey, like we're both divorced people. Like
1: we should talk about that." that's that's exactly right, but I think there's a there's a nuance that I remember distinctly, okay, which is I was following you on Twitter or something, and you oh. tweeted something about being stuck on a bus in Oakland, and you were yeah. referring to the Oakland that is in Pittsburgh, right and I grew up in Oakland, California, and I knew that we were about the same age, and it seemed astonishing that our paths had never crossed, given this sort of. Parallel life trend, but I was like, "You're from Oakland, also." Like You said so your your tweet just happened to say something about Oakland, and I've lived here all my life. And I'm like, "Yes, well, right." I, that just a- <laughs> anyway that that was the thing that made me feel like we should really know each other. So yeah,
0: so without that tweet, you'd be fucking stranger right now. I'd be Let's a total just,
1: stranger. Yeah, it's yeah very fortuitous. Twitter has brought so many people together <laughs> and created so much fucking disaster in our country um <laughs> no but
0: i think it was like right away steve we sort of like connected over divorce and we kind of started immediately talking because our stories were really quite similar and um and we were like on the same timeline
1: I remember. Right. That's right. that That's we were right. like going through it in parallel lines like the things that i think connected us around divorce was a uh A combination of resolve that it was the right choice, Mm. a a choice that we needed to make, and really a kind of deep shame that our lives had come to this point where we Mm. weren't doing this. And um, I think holding both of those at the same time is not unusual among a person, among people who are divorcing, um, but it's hard. And I think it was really nice to be able to share that with someone where it felt like, for me, it felt like you understood what I was going through in a way that. People who had been divorced for longer and people who were not divorced weren't feeling at the same depth at the same time, mm. um, and that was that was really nice. Yeah, so those thanks are... for getting divorced. I really appreciate your divorce.
0: <laughs> I did it for you. <laughs> <Thanks>. um, <laughs> tell me just a smidge about your marriage, if that if you're comfortable, just saying a few words about that. How long you were married? Kind of the context in which this divorce
1: like came about. Yeah, for sure. So, um I was uh I started dating the person I eventually divorced um pretty soon after college. The person uh, you married then divorced. I married then divorced, <laughs> right? You could argue that the direction was not straight to divorce. Um but we you know, uh I I fell in love with her very quickly. It was about 10 years into our marriage. That the sort of the crisis that really precipitated the divorce happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And how old were the kids at the time? So our kids were, I think, three and six when all of this kicked in.
0: So we've talked over the years now about our evolving relationships with each of our spouses. Um, Could you talk a little bit about um, the emotions that come along with it? I guess
1: it really felt like the amount of anger we were each feeling was, um, too much to bear being together. So when we first got divorced, you know, this is, I should maybe be embarrassed about this, but I'm too old to be embarrassed about this. We were playing a Dungeons and Dragons game with our kids. That is nothing to be um, embarrassed about. And, uh, in the early days of separation, we continued that. We sort of kept it going. It felt like it was, we could be in the same room. We could hold things together for the kids and then, you know, I think because of each of our healing processes as they were going along, in the, the anger had to come out. And when it eventually did, we really couldn't be in the same room. It was too mm-hmm. painful. It was too hard. It was too – one of the dynamics that had been present even before the, the separation and divorce was a little bit of walking on eggshells around each other was mm. – um, or at least I, I, I perceived it that way, a feeling that I couldn't be my true self without maybe provoking some, some strong feelings that I was scared to encounter. And I think I can see in retrospect ways I could have handled that better, but I didn't. Um, and I was still definitely feeling that. Uh, and at that sort of time of peak anger, it felt so strong that I felt like even being around her for more than a minute or two was, was really painful. That so so at that point the D D game stopped we we kept mm. ourselves apart um, and uh, we really were very separated for you know sort of only minimal contact and a lot of um, clipped text exchanges mm-hmm. for probably a year or so like handling the logistics and nothing else yes um, and then you know after about a year of that a lot of that that coldness and anger thawed. And I think a lot of it was about processing that anger, which we really needed to process separately, which we weren't in a place we could process together. And I would say that now things are in a pretty good place. I can, uh, in fact, tonight is um, my older son's birthday, uh, and I'm expecting to go over to her house to celebrate with with her and with him and with our other kid. That doesn't feel like it will be stressful. That feels like it will be a fun time, and maybe more fun time because we're drinking wine here together. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't often show <laughs> up lit to my my yeah. uh, kid's birthday, but you know, it's the first time for everything. Um, uh, but you know, but I think things are sort of back in a place where they are they're companionable. Um, and as as we've discussed, and I think maybe this is a place for this podcast to go. That's both great in the moment of we mm-hmm. can handle this, and sort of guilt inducing in the if we can get along this well, aren't we harming the kids by not trying to be back together again?
0: What I remember you and I talking a lot about was like the development of empathy for our ex-spouse, that that really, you know, developing empathy for ourselves, first of all, I think, in what we needed and that it was okay for us to want to be happy, that um, we don't have to sacrifice everything for our children that that growing of the empathy has really i think correct me if I'm wrong that the two of us have both felt like our relationships, their exes have been able to become more amicable as a result.
1: I think that's right i think I think the development of of empathy there is a I agree that that's a key feature of being able to to be around the around one's ex and understand why they may be feeling angry at you or they may not be feeling angry at you but that those hurts that have happened can be forgiven sort mm-hmm. of through the through the empathy. I think I think a thing that I was not good at at all in my marriage was asking for or offering forgiveness. That I mm-hmm. think one of the thing one of the dynamics we didn't do very well was fighting towards resolution. I think we did a lot of fighting towards expressing our discontent, but not a lot of finding the common ground and savoring the sort of closeness that can come out of resolving a good fight. Um, Absolutely, But, you know, I really wish I'd developed that skill and had that experience earlier. I don't know that it, that this marriage would have been the right marriage for me, but if I had had that, the ability to to reach that skill, it would have been, it might've been, even the, the breakup process might have been less painful.
0: Let's go back to talking for a minute about the relationship with our ex improving and yet other things get
1: harder. I I guess the the thing that 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 we have talked about and that I'm still sort of chewing over in my mind is the tension between feeling like I can be in my like my ex and I can get along like I would consider going on a family vacation with her. I don't have plans to do that. And that feels like it would be really nice for the kids. And it feel I feel some guilt over the fact that if that were true why shouldn't we be together? Why couldn't we be providing one household so my kids didn't have to shuffle our kids didn't have to shuffle their stuff back and forth, didn't have to think about the tension of why things are different in mom's house and dad's house. Um And, you know, there's a ton of logistic hassles that Mm -hmm. they have to deal with that are imposed on by shuffling between two houses. Um, And not to mention emotional hurdles of like, what is it like if mom and dad are in the same room? What's Mm -hmm. the tension between them? How do I have to manage that? Um, And, you know, couldn't I just get along with her and we could return to a state of, uh, the prior state of apparent normalcy to the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And I need to remind myself that, were we together all the time? The tensions mm-hmm. and dynamics that led to the breakup yeah. in the first place would likely come right back. And there are many ways in which I am much happier now than I was when married. And my happiness makes me a better parent. And the the option on the table where I'm with my ex and we're both super happy is not. That's not. That's not happening. Um, and that's yeah. not. It's not a. I don't think it's a failure to the kids like i i I would like to be able to present them a world in which that was their experience um but I'd also like to present them a world in which there is no covid I'd like to present them a world in which there is no police brutality and I'd like to present them lots of different worlds mm-hmm. than the one that we live in mm-hmm. and i uh you know I can work on some axes towards any of those things um and i I don't think the one in which I and their mom live together is one that's worth working towards. I don't think that's that's going to happen the way that it might be nice.
0: From when you and I started talking, one of the reasons, Steve, that I really valued you as a friend is because you were so open and vulnerable about feelings and uh, we were both in therapy at the time. So could we talk a little bit about therapy, especially because you're a cis white dude. <laughs> That's um, true. I am. And obviously in our world of like, you know, toxic masculinity um, and the patriarchy, like cis white dudes are not supposed to have feelings, right? Right. Um, right. So can you talk about the the, the the your decision to go to therapy?
1: Yeah. So I went to therapy grudgingly because I thought it would save my marriage. Um, I, in spite of, I should mention that I had a PhD at this point in time I had been through, um, I I got my PhD in epi at Columbia, which has a very strong psych psych epi program Hmm. and is, has a strong push against mental health stigma. Mm -hmm. And I would have told you that there was, that I held no stigma towards mental health services for anyone. Um, and I still didn't want to go see a therapist, which like is <laughs> total bullshit. And yeah. I just want to acknowledge I was wrong. Um, I was wrong to think that. I was wrong to think that I didn't have stigma. I'm probably still wrong to think that I don't have <laughs> stigma. Um, and we were in this marital crisis and I was ready to do anything that I could to, I had it framed as save my marriage. The point of this crisis was right when I was Finishing my PhD, and no, no one knows this. So, hey, Sh- shiny, Epi <laughs> work podcast world. This is the big reveal. Fifteen
0: hundred people. fifteen hundred
1: All fifteen hundred people are going to care a lot about this. The most, <laughs> the most petty thing I think I did in my anger about this crisis was edit the what do you call the thing oh, in, no. your, the, the, in your oh, dissertation, no. the like acknowledgement. Um, I edited the, dedication? Some, like, the dedication? The dedication. The yeah. dedication. I edited my dedication Oh God. Um, because uh, I was so angry at her. And I didn't edit it <laughs> in a way that was explicitly mean, but I believe I edited out some of the positive things that I had had in there um, about, about our relationship and her support for me. Oh, God, um, dude.
0: That's so which, fucking petty. I, which is I so petty. relate to like, it. It's <laughs> so petty. I get it.
1: I get it. Um, and I, you know, I would re-edit it back, but, that, sure. <laughs> you know, I formatted it that way that you're supposed to format it and set it off, and now it's done forever. So, sorry, 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 my ex. Sorry, world. That yeah. was, no one uh,
0: reads your dissertation uh, anyway, Steve, true, so we're
1: yeah, fine. That's a good point. <laughs> or um, anyone's
0: dissertation. Or anyone's dissertation, right.
1: right. No, it's true. <laughs> I found a, a therapist and started talking to her about my issues and, and what was going on, I thought we were going to the, spend the sessions like figuring out strategies wherein I could save my marriage as I had it framed. Mm. And to my therapist's credit, we spent those those sessions <laughs> talking about what it meant to talk about feelings, which seemed like the <laughs> dumbest, like farthest from <laughs> from, you know, what I needed thing we yes. could be doing. Um and of course I was completely wrong. Um you know, talking about about feelings not only helped the process of dissolving my marriage, which is what ended up happening, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I would say to every other like nerdy, uncomfortable, talking about their feelings dude out there is like an amazing relationship superpower you don't know that you have. Um, because you've been told not to talk about your feelings. And it turns out that vulnerability is really hot. And once you recognize that it's really hot, it's like, there's a thing I can do to make myself hot that I didn't know I could do. Like, why have I not been doing this all this time? Um, and so that's my, my pitch for therapy. I fully believe in therapy for all anyway. But to the, to the nerdy dudes out there who don't know why they want to do this, who are 2016 me, like, you're going to get a superpower out of this. Like, you should, you should do this. Uh, oh, God.
0: I love that.
1: That's. I mean, that also comes off a little bit like you have to do it in a not sociopathic sure. way. Sure. Um, yeah. Like do it sincerely. If you're not yeah. a sociopath to start with, you'll be fine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so but I, but, I vol- wait, but Lisa, I want to know, was that like what brought you to therapy?
0: Yeah. Well, I started seeing a therapist when I was 20. I was <laughs> I felt um, I was concerned about my relationship with, you know, the man who I ended up marrying. And so we, you know, that was my first experience with a therapist, grew up in a home where my mother thought this was bananas that I would ever need to go talk to a therapist and decided to go anyway. Good for you. I'm really curious as, you know, a dude who grew up in this environment where therapy was stigmatized. What do you think you were afraid of when you first started going to therapy or before
1: you started going? That's a great question. I think there were, there were probably two or three different things. One of them that I was worried about was having any diagnosis on my medical history. Oh, okay. Was that like you know that maybe I would be found to have some psychopathology that I would then have to carry around, and hmm. I wouldn't be eligible to fly a plane sure. or whatever. You know, yeah. like um, mm-hmm. not that I ever want to fly a plane. <laughs> no, I to but-
0: <laughs> say, were you interested
1: in flying? <laughs> no, <a plane? laughs> that was not a life goal. <laughs> okay. I think a, a secondary thing was a fear that um, uh, that there would be sort of more short-term unresolvable things that I would learn something about myself that I didn't want to know, that I would yeah. sort of learn some dark secret that I was keeping from myself and I was afraid it would come out. Um, and that one, the first one I think is is a structural thing that it should be really clear that destigmatizing mental health services um, sort of for everyone uh, would remove this sort of idea that once you have a diagnosis of anxiety, you are spending your life as a broken person is like total nonsense. Right. Um uh and and it's easy to I don't know if it's easy to solve structurally but could be solved structurally. I think um the fear of of finding out something about yourself is a trickier situation because I think it's an individualized fear and it's it's a rational fear in a way. Like if there is something about you that you are managing now and that digging into it could uncover it, you will have to deal with it. Um, and mm-hmm. that dealing with it can be, can be hard. I also think that, um, with the sort of post therapy point of view, if there is such an issue, you actually want to know about it. You will actually <laughs> be better able to deal with it by using your conscious brain instead of just reacting to it. <laughs> um, but I think that's, I think I understand why that was a thing I was scared of, you know, that in retrospect. And then, you know, I think the other thing was just, I thought it was going to take a lot of time. And uh, that I wasn't going to get anything out of it. But it also felt like it's going to be emotionally exhausting where when I'm done, I'm not going to be able to write anything that night or I'm not going to be able to parent or like I'm going to be a wreck all day, you know, one day a week for Mm -hmm. the rest of the foreseeable future. (laughs) How am I ever going to get this K written? Um, Mm -hmm. All three of my fears turned out not to be justified. Um, Although I definitely cried and was a wreck for the rest of the day more than once um it turns out to be a useful thing because it turns out you're less of a wreck the next next day if you go through that or that like sort of processing some of this stuff is a long-term short-term investment in being a wreck for a long-term investment of being able to handle yourself better
0: (laughs) right can feel brutal in that moment man
1: yeah absolutely
0: totally let's talk a little bit about dating (laughs) post-divorce yes Which is something that you and I have talked tons about, kind of embarking on this journey as 40 somethings. Uh, I think you and I both didn't have a lot of a dating experience before we got married. So, uh, entering into this new world, uh, was something I think correct me if I'm wrong, both you and I were very excited about. Could we talk a little bit about the dating apps? We could start out if you wanted to kind of explain to people who've never been on them like what the idea is and what's kind of fucking bizarre
1: about them. There is a lot that is kind of fucking bizarre about them. (laughs) Um, There is a process in which you're presented pictures of someone and maybe a few words about them if you're lucky and you ha- you are offered to make a decision as to whether you would rather talk to this person or not. Um, and it is fucking bizarre. Yes. Um, and mm-hmm. The things that I think for me are weirdest about it are one, um, knowing how wrong I am about snap judging people mm. all the time mm-hmm. and being sort of recognizing that the snap judgment is the norm of the world. And just having to accept that. Um, and mm-hmm. secondarily, trying to present a version of myself that will be snap judged the right way <laughs> yes. by other people. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, so so I'm, a, I'm a nerd. I think we're both nerds. Maybe many mm-hmm. listeners of this podcast mm-hmm. are nerds. Um, the first thing I did in dating apps was go read a bunch about how I was supposed to do this. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> Yes. And you get a thousand different That's perspectives. Right. Um, That's right. And, what's the and strategy? You, what is what's the your smartest strategy? strategy? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. How are you going to optimally present yourself on a, on a dating app? Um, but the the goal seems to be to get the most swipes. Um, right swipes. The most right, sorry, the most right yeah. swipes. Yes, <laughs> That's yes. Right swipes. Yeah. And it turns out that I really only want right swipes from people I actually want to talk to, which means... I'm very picky about my right swipes. And that in turn makes me feel bad about myself because I feel like every left swipe is judging a person on, on not enough information. Interesting. Um, I don't give a fuck about the left Well, that's how you should be doing it. <laughs> that, is, that is the right way to do it, is the like, nope, uh, nope, nope. Yeah. I think the part that I'm most self-hating about is the, is the internalized classism. Is that I'm 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 always assuming that the only people I want to interact with are the ones who are wearing glasses and writing complete sentences <laughs> and using you know good grammar um, and a bunch of stuff that is fundamentally not about a person's character, not about mm-hmm. about how much I would even like interacting with that person in person necessarily, and totally classist. Uh, but I do it anyway, uh, and when I've tried not doing that. It just makes me feel awkward and uncomfortable in ways that don't set up good conversations anyway.
0: I'll say as a woman, it's especially hard to connect with a man that doesn't have a lot of experience with professional, high-achieving women. You have to make snap judgments, right? You do. And so it's a lot of like, no, 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 mm, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you have... Do you let's be petty for a minute if you're willing. <laughs> do you have automatic no's in
1: profiles? Yes, 100% I do. Yeah, will you share any of them with me? So, no words is an automatic no. If yes, I can't same. see how you how you write, I don't care. Like it's it's this weird thing where you're developing a picture of who this person is from this small amount of information and Words are more precise than pictures, and I I just need that to develop a thing. Guns okay. are an automatic no. <laughs> yes, um, that's number one on my list, guns. Uh, not, not vaccinated is an automatic, or like yes. anything sort of in the sort of vaccine space is an automatic no. Um, it is extremely rare in the context of Seattle for people to be expressing pro-Trump sentiments. Yes. Um, and I will say that all of my other rules are actually violated for someone who is extreme far left. That, like, if you, if, if you have no words, but you're showing me that you're, like, supporting Antifa, like, I'm intrigued. We might not be a good match, but, like, tell me more about your politics. We'll have a good discussion anyway. Like, I don't like Nazis either. Maybe we can connect on that.
0: Steve, if an animal went to therapy, which animals session would you want to sit in on?
1: I mean, it depends a little bit on who the therapist is, but I would love to hear a crow express what's going on. I mean, maybe. why? Well, there's a lot of unresolved anger issues, I think. Okay, do you think? Um, I That's been my experience with crows. During crow nesting season, uh, there are small baby crows that are probably good eagle food. And the crows don't want that eagle around.
0: Right. And
1: they are loud and they let that eagle know and they dive bomb it. And if you've ever seen a crow crash into an eagle's wing and, like, spiral off and then catch itself, it's, like, beautiful and amazing. Wow. And um, one of the great things about about nature. Yeah. And also, like, I want to hear that crow then go to therapy and be like, I had this terrible day on Thursday. I had to dive bomb an (laughs) eagle. I felt like I was going to die. But I saved my baby. Like that whole like how does that like, what does the therapist even say? Like, yes, let's acknowledge that you had some trauma and like we'll work through how you're feeling about it now.
0: Yeah, and what are you gonna do differently? And, and your you crow, crow do partner? Yeah. How yeah. what's your crow partner doing Yeah, at all? seriously.
1: Why why was it your responsibility to die, Bob?
0: <laughs> what's your favorite Indiana Jones movie?
1: Uh Last Crusade. And I, I wanna be transparent that the part of it that bothers me the most yeah. is Indiana's relationship with his students which I feel like is extremely <laughs> uncomfortable to watch as a as a professional academic. Yeah. It's not the cleverest writing but the Sean Connery Harrison Ford interactions yeah. are pure gold in that movie. The part where where Sean Connery's like admitting I think for the first time that he's old also uh-huh. feels like a really humanizing moment for a man who's been a legendary sex symbol. Um, and I think it's still like, let's be honest, he's still sexy when he's old. He is.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm very embarrassed to say that Temple of Doom is my favorite.
1: Temple of Doom? Oh, uh, you know. Dude,
0: I know that there's so many problems so with that. It's so
1: problematic. It's so problematic. And I'm very embarrassed to admit it. It does not stand the test of time. Um, but uh, I'll have to rewatch it and see just how... No, um, you shouldn't. You absolutely re- should not I, rewatch. It. <laughs> can I rewatch it and drink for problematic as a drinking game, and then yes. not even I'll have watch- to see the second yeah. half because I'll be passed out before we get halfway through.
0: <laughs> let's watch it via Zoom together. I think Sounds that would be great. really Netflix fun. Netflix and just every yes. time we see something, we're like, oh, <laughs> they shouldn't have done that. If you had to eat one thing from McDonald's, let's all just let go of the idea that because we're public health people, we don't need a McDonald's on occasion. That's.
1: Right. I'm a public right. health person. This is my my personal health right. that's happening. There. I mean, like structural stuff with McDonald's and right. like corporatization <laughs> of agriculture aside. McDonald's <laughs> is like, anyway. Yeah. So I have to eat one thing at McDonald's.
0: You're just fucking like, I'm going to McDonald's. Like I'm going through that drive through and it's 11 p.m. Like, what are you yep. going to get?
1: I'm probably going to get a shake. That's what I'm most excited oh. about is the like the ice cream and milk combination <laughs> put together. <laughs> what I, would flavor? I, Uh, do they have chocolate? Yeah. Then I'd go with chocolate.
0: If I'm going to choose a shake, it's going to be 100% vanilla. Really? Just vanilla. Yes. You- Fuck, I love vanilla.
1: You love vanilla. More power to you.
0: Would you rather be trapped for an hour in a room full of mosquitoes or a room full
1: of rats? Oh, rats. 100%. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No. Rats are- I mean, I don't want to be bit by rats, so it depends on how hungry they are. Um- but uh But it's a room ra- full of rats. Well how I mean, are, can I can I, can my feet go on the ground? Are they running over my feet? Like Yeah, they're running what are over your feet. They're running over my feet. But the mosquitoes are like feasting on me. Are they I, I guess mean, if they're like if they're so if the mosquitoes have been fed, if they've been in a room for a while and they're just like <laughs> hanging out sitting on a horse corpse or something because they've like filled themselves <laughs> up on all that delicious horse blood, then like I'm fine in the room of mosquitoes. Okay.
0: Steve, what would make you valuable in an end-of-the-world scenario?
1: Nothing. I yes, come in an on. End of the that is not scenario. true. Um, I would – I think uh, – I've always thought that my my core role in a um, any kind of scenario that required improvising would be advisor <laughs> to the charismatic leader. I'm definitely never <laughs> going to be the charismatic leader. Never going to do that. And I don't have any useful skills. Like lighting design is not going to be a core part of the, of okay. the, the end of the world. Right. R. Like if we, if we have a computer that has R on it, I can help with something. But like we're in a zombie apocalypse situation. All I can do is like be someone for the charismatic leader to be like, should we go to the left or to the right? I'm like, well, what are the advantages and disadvantages? Let's talk about it.
0: Okay. I'm going to list five people. And I'd like you to rank them, please, according to who you would most want to have a drink with, to who you'd
1: least want to have a drink with. Great. This is we're, – we're in Tinder already. This is, this is great.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. No, but you're not allowed to say, like, swipe left.
1: Okay. <laughs> swipe right. All right. All right.
0: You got to rank them. Okay. Got to rank okay. them. All right. Here are the five people. Britney Spears. Okay. Joe Rogan.
1: Okay.
0: Tucker Carlson. Steve Martin, okay, and Dora the Explorer.
1: Um, this is easy. Let's hear it. Uh, Steve Martin first, because for all the reasons. Yeah, Steve I, Martin's fucking great. I next most want to have a drink with Britney Spears because I want to. I I want to hear her stories from her point of view. Um, Free Britney. Like she, yeah, like I. There's so much to learn. <laughs> um, I don't. I. She almost outranks Steve Martin, but Steve Martin would be so much fun <laughs> that he can't be anywhere other than. Top. Whereas like okay. Brittany getting understanding what it was like to be her is such a vicarious experience. Um that anything she can share, I, I want to know. Okay. Um next Dora. Uh <laughs> I I have never seen her show. I don't like I don't even know. What? But I Wait, that never Your never kids hit. never watched Dora? No, it's they have plenty of bad habits, but we never had a TV. Okay. Or we never had a TV that was set up for uh, regular show watching. All right. Um, so there are other bad habits have been developed and other screen addictions have been developed with games <laughs> rather than with TV. Um, we still, though, at home do
0: sing the Dora song. Like we sing, uh, you know, okay. Dora, Dora, Dora. Like we sing, you know, on the map, on the map. So anyway, I endorse Dora as third choice. Okay. Just based on what Great. I know about her.
1: <laughs> I mean, she's the, she's the, I don't know anything, but I can imagine how I would be able to survive this.
0: She's an explorer. Like She's an explorer. That's great. There's a yeah. lot of things to ask her.
1: <laughs> right. And it sounds like she's inspirational to tons of kids out there and she is. that's great to know everything right. everything I can. Yeah. So I guess I think oh, I'm very curious about this is, these last This is hard. Two? So a, another a, I guess a key question on the last two yes. is what are the parameters and how soon can I leave this drink? Like, am I allowed to it, be like, okay. i had a sip,
0: I No, I I'm out of here. The rule for you is you're gonna have to drink half your drink. You're not gonna pound it. You gotta Damn sit it. there.
1: That was that was <laughs> my plan. No,
0: you okay. gotta sit there.
1: I don't wanna have a drink with either of them. Um yeah. uh, and I think Fair. I would have I think I would rather have a drink with Tucker Carlson because I would like to try to be subversive. And I feel like I might have a chance because he doesn't seem like he's, he seems like he's dogmatic, but not necessarily smart. Joe Rogan is also maybe dogmatic, but not all that smart, but he seems less like you might be able to manipulate him. Um, And I don't think I have the personal skills to manipulate anybody, honestly, so I don't think it would be successful, but I might as well try as long as I have this enforced opportunity.
0: Steve, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad that we were able to like record one of our many like super fun, interesting conversations. It was super fun, and interesting to me. I don't know what our <laughs> listeners will think. <laughs> Doesn't matter.
1: I, Doesn't even matter. It, it it. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here <laughs> and to talk to you recorded or no. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So much fun.
0: Thank you. Huge listenership, like huge, right?
1: right. I mean, yeah. but quantity or quality? Let's let's be serious. Shiny yes. happy people versus Joe Rogan, no <laughs> question. On.
0: There's no, and question. that's not a
1: pander at all to anybody who might happen to be listening to this.
0: It's Not. <laughs>